Northern Rivers Food and Southern Cross University present Business Bites. This podcast series discusses, evaluates and explores all the factors that contribute to making a successful business. I'm Angela Caterns, host of Business Bites, and in each episode we hear wisdom and insights from forward-thinking academics and leading industry experts about what really helps a business stay relevant and thrive. In this episode, we're talking about workplace culture. What is it? How to build it? And how do things like leadership and teamwork contribute to the magic of culture? Yvonne Brunetto is our first guest today. She's a professor of management and human resource management at Southern Cross University, and she's published far and wide about how to ensure the best work environment to support performance in employees. Hello and welcome, Yvonne. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So tell us a bit about your area of expertise. It's in how workplace relationships, those between a manager and staff member, for example, impact on the way staff members behave. And can you tell us a bit about how those types of interactions impact on a workplace? It's very interesting because people normally want to go to a workplace because they think the work's going to be interesting, the organisation's got a great image. But the thing that we know will predict whether they stay or not is their relationship with their supervisor. It accounts for more people leaving than anything else. But it's not just about that because the leader not only or the line manager not only determines the quality of the relationship with the employee and therefore their access to resources, um, opportunities, but even more than that, they determine the unwritten rules about whether teamwork should occur, uh, how you should treat one another, whether you can take a little bit of time off to uh, go to a school function but perhaps work later another day. All that is determined, often unsaid, because in small business there isn't usually a HR department and all of this occurs just through interactions. Mm. And often, uh, you know, the manager or, as you said, the, the, the leader has risen to this position without, um, without further education about how to actually manage a team of people beneath them. Is that true? Correct. Um, it's so bad in Australia or so good, depending on how you look at it, that um, – The Carpent Report back in the 90s identified a need to have management training for our managers because our level of managing was considered fairly poor Mm -hmm. on the OECD scale. And consequently, you'd expect that some things will have improved, and they have. However, unless you challenge the way you resolve conflict, the way you interact, the way you uh, spread an idea across groups of, of different types of employees, unless you've done a little bit of training, the way, the method, the, the uh, process for interacting will be what you have learnt in your own family 
and early interactions. And that pattern is is repeated over and over again unless it's challenged. Mm -hmm. That means that if you came from a fairly autocratic family where um, one person was the boss, that's the model you know. And we have a lot of that. And that often leads to toxicity in the in the uh, culture. Um, it's uh, one of the reasons given for poor productivity, poor performance. But can I add the biggest issue? We've been through two years of the COVID pandemic, and our the health and well being of our of our employees is on show because of the high level of sickness, stress-related sickness and workers' comp- stress-related workers' compensation claims, which are through the roof in particular areas. So if you want to attract employees to work for you, understand that the key is the way you interact with them and treat them with respect and give them knowledge, but also skills that they require to do their job. And don't do what is causing a lot of the problems, and that is cause work intensity, i.e., oh, do you mind just doing an extra uh, half an hour today? Or oh, can you just do this extra job? Oh, you don't really need all of that for lunchtime, do you? Because that is what is creeping into our workplace. The International Labour Organization uh, and Standards have both introduced International Standards has introduced a new standard which was adopted by Australia last year in June. And now uh, WHS around the glo- around Australian states and federally are investigating how they're going to have to change the legislation to reflect that it's now the supervisor, the line manager and the organisation that is responsible for the well-being of those employees. It's over in terms of toxicity being okay in the workplace and it will be legislated possibly in the next five years. Wow. And so, Yvonne, uh, tell us a little bit about what that means for workplaces, you know, on a practical level. How does it manifest when there are good relationships versus bad relationships in a workplace? What does good or bad mean in a workplace? When I'm called into an organisation to um, examine the issue of low morale, uh, morality, (laughs) morale, (laughs) Mm. low morale, um, high turnover, um, poor commitment, um, uh, if it's a hospital or um, a setting like that, it might be high levels of accidents, also mm-hmm. engineering, similar. Mm-hmm. So when I'm asked to investigate those sort of issues, the first thing you do is a pretest to see what's going on. How do you do that, by the way? Oh, you only use evidence-based Um, instruments which have been tested all over the world and I have tested them in most, well, about six or seven countries I've tested them so I know they work, although some don't work in every country. Mm -hmm. So, But I was test first with a pilot so I know whether it works or not. Mm -hmm. So once I've got that evidence, I know what to look for. And if I can see that there are certain um, groups or maybe the entire organisation which has a way of managing and uh, informing staff which um, actually is fearful for many uh, employees. Um, 
that may have worked in the past, but we have low employment now, so that won't work anymore. And therefore, once I have that information, I often suggest there needs to be upskilling of management, um, of, of line supervisors all the way up. And I introduced the idea of uh, psychological well-being, um, the PERMA framework from um, Martin Seligman, who is the father of positive psychology. Uh, I implement uh, sometimes training in the area of psychological capital, which um, is about building resilience of the employees by building their hope and optimism mm -hmm. and self-efficacy. So training is one way, but there's also performance managing. That's another tool you can use uh, to ensure that your employers and your line managers are responsible for what comes out of their mouth. If it's causing damage, then first of all, point it out because sometimes they don't know. Second, teach them new ways. That's the upskilling. But if that doesn't work, performance manage them. Mm -hmm. Yvonne, resilience has become a bit of a buzzword these days, thanks to COVID. Um, you wrote an article pre the pandemic and posed a very relevant question. Can you teach workers to be more emotionally resilient? You sure can. Evidence-based. Uh, they have done it in many countries. I've done it in Australia uh, with healthcare. Um, so nurses, um, allied health, um, physios. I know that I can increase their psychological capital, which then increases their well-being, which then uh, is the best predictor of their performance, but also means that we're taking, giving them enough skills so they can cope day to day. And that means they're not going to be uh, taking stress-related sick leave and all of those things. So performing well and coping well. Mm -hmm. But, but, and it is a big but, COVID is showing us and the latest research says there is a point. There is a point that no matter what your psychological capacities are, there is a point you cannot take people past that. And my fear is that there are many, too many healthcare workers and emergency services workers that have gone, have been pushed too far. You can't go weeks upon weeks without days off, without double shifts and expect there not to be a high level of adverse events. Hmm. So can you just elaborate a little bit on, on psychological capital and what that is and how it connects to uh, staff in the workplace? Sure. When I do training, and I've got another training session tomorrow with um, staff, um, I uh, endeavour to, first of all, teach them about emotions. You cannot teach psychological capital on quicksand. You have to give it a basis. You have to give them some knowledge about themselves. So step one, I teach about self-awareness. And then we move on to self 
regulation of emotions, being able to understand the cues of what upsets them, what are their triggers and how they'll respond. These are really important for managers because it may be that some uh, employee says something about a new idea, but if they don't know, well, that's a trigger for them because of something else, they're likely to respond inappropriately. Once you've taught them that, um, Luthens, a, uh, the father of, of uh, positive organisational behaviour, uh, developed an instrument that comprises four sub-instruments um, and their concepts are very important. The first is hope. But hope is not something religious. It's about flexibility. So there is a very simple way to teach that and to ensure that people, once they've learnt it, that it forms the basis for the other factors. The second one is to teach optimism. Again, these have been trialled and tested in different countries. It works. The third one is self-efficacy. That's been going on. Rarely does someone come to me with no skills. They've already got skills. They're actually just adding to their skills by increasing their psychological capacity. So they don't really need that a lot. They just need to practice the psychological aspects of it. And all of those things will give them resilience, which is the ability to bounce back in the face of adversity. Mm. Is it possible for you to go into a business and know in a very short time frame what the workplace culture is like? What do you look for? Well, before COVID, I had a rule that I didn't do work on an organisation unless I'd walked the floors. And that means that I have walked the hospitals in Brazil, in Scotland, in the USA, wow. in Malta, you name it, I've done it. Uh, but I didn't go to Bangladesh when I did that work because they were bombing at the time. And I haven't been into many workplaces subsequent to that and certainly not um, whether it was engineering or anything, I haven't been there for two years. So can you know? I use a pretest. Is it good enough? Well, it's what gives you a fairly good feel uh, for what's going on because evidence has shown that these pretests, they ask similar stuff in different ways so you can capture it. I didn't use it as the only tool in the past. I have been using it as the only tool since COVID. Mm -hmm. But uh, so that when you say a pretest, what is that exactly? It's um, it's an instrument which comprises um, uh, different measures which have been tested to measure particular things. So I measure their psychological capital. I measure what they believe to be the psychosocial safety climate in the place. Mm -hmm. Does management care about them? Right. I measure their level of work harassment. Do they believe that they are asked to do things that is well above what they're actually paid for that is written in a contract? I ask what is their level of burnout? Do they believe they uh, perform at the level they should? I have a whole lot of instruments. Mm -hmm. all validated and I ask it before and then I ask it at the end mm -hmm. of training. Mm -hmm. Yvonne, I, uh, what role does leadership play in, in setting workplace culture? What sits above a line manager is the CEO, the, the leader. It's very interesting in big, big companies because who actually determines that culture? There's documents 
and they form the official culture. But what does that really mean? An authentic leader is the sort of leader who, and you haven't asked me this question, but I'll give you the best case scenario of what a good leader is, Mm -hmm. who knows their emotions and can regulate them, who, and because of that, has a good workplace relationship with the line supervisors, at least is trusted by them, so that when he or she says, this is the type of behaviour we expect, that is listened to. But it's also the fact that that leader walks his or her walks the talk. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not just words because we get a lot of really pretty words in mission statements and rarely are they walked properly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a line manager is as good as the message from above. If there is poor governance and accountability, then a line manager is the boss. For an employee, they don't know who's above them. But a good, authentic leader ensures that the expected behaviour is very clear Mm. across all line managers and the employees know that everyone knows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're talking about a fair bit of transparency within a a company or an organisation. Correct. Mm. Earlier this year, Yvonne, you co-authored a piece that was published in The Conversation about the experience of AFL star Eddie Betts and his experience of the culture at the footy team he played for. His descriptions of what took place in the team, in what was his workplace, seemed to be the epitome of what not to do. What do you think business owners and leaders can learn from what went wrong there? Well, there was a time when there was very little uh, evidence-based research determining management practices. And in those organisations, then I guess people did what they thought worked for them. There was no evidence attached to it. And they made mistakes and they caused more harm than good. Now, the much later research says that the words that come out of line managers either is going to build their psychological capacity or it's going to erode it. What was done in the past eroded it. Hopefully what would be done in the future is about building on their strengths, training and upskilling where there are deficits, and doing it all in a respectful way. There's nothing wrong with diagnosing and jointly examining a a gameplay if something has gone wrong. But that's quite different from embarrassing and berating people. That may have happened when you were a five-year-old. It probably wasn't a great idea then either. Mm. But... Maybe your family didn't know any better. 
It sure isn't a good idea in business. Yes. Well, things have changed, haven't they, over the years? And I guess um, uh, workplace health and safety regulations are increasingly making employers legally responsible for, uh, for what might cause harm, psychological or physical harm at work. Um, for example, aggressive or bullying behaviour and exposure to traumatic events. Is that the case now? The legislation is in review so uh, it's come from the um, international standards, came into Australia last June and now everything is in review. I'm doing another project at the moment with uh, colleagues for, on behalf of New South Wales, Work Health and Safety, we're examining uh, what practices have been implemented that may um, uh, be consistent with the new legislation, and then we need to look at where the deficits are mm. uh, for uh, on behalf of, um, well, I guess in examining the whole picture because, yes, there's a lot of work to do, but we are at the preliminary stage, you know, from something that comes from uh, the UN or somewhere like that um, and then to come to Australia and then to become part of ordinary practice can take a minimum five years, I think, minimum. Long time. And so, Yvonne, tell us about the research you've led into how employee well-being is a strength for a company or an organisation and what a business can do to help well-being build resilience within the organisation. Employee well-being is the thing that whether we are conscious or unconscious about it, we are always trying to strive to achieve. This means that if we know, all of us are born with a certain level of psychological and uh, physical resources. So if you ask two people, can you do this extra work? One of them will do it well and the other one may struggle because it erodes their own psychological resources. So one of them will be left with well-being that's okay and the other one will have compromised well-being. We know that the higher employees' well-being, the higher will be their performance. The lower will be, if they're in a hospital or an engineer, the lower will be their rate of accidents. Okay, we know that that is evidence based. So if you want to increase the performance of your employees, the first thing you need to do is to manage to ensure they have high well-being. And if you do that, that means you're building their psychological resources that they can use in times of stress. That's what psychological capacity does. It allows employees to cope with stress and be able to keep going, to be able to make good decisions, even with complex circumstances. Mm -hmm. But so it's good for the employee and it's also good for the company they work for. And importantly, it's good for two more groups. One, their families and friends but also the taxpayer because guess who pays for stress-related workers' compensation claims? You and me. So if you want to pay less tax or know that your tax is not going towards that, then treat employees as if they are 
the resource that they are, build their capabilities, both psychological and physical, whatever they require to do their job well, you'll have high performance and they will be well and that will be good for the community and our tax pocket. Fantastic. Yvonne Brunetto, thank you so much for joining us on Business Bites. Thank you. We've talked about the theory and research and we've heard about best practice. So joining us now to tell us about an actual workplace are Claire and Evan Harding. They're co-founders and co-directors of Bear Fruit Marketing, an award-winning down-to-earth marketing agency based in Ballina. Claire and Evan bring a certain flair to their work, along with a very definite personality and sense of humour. Claire, Evan, hello and welcome. Hi. Hey, thank you for that intro. So tell us a bit about Bear Fruit uh, and what it's like to be a, a team member of your company. I actually asked one of our team members this morning what it's like to be a team member of our company, <laughs> and she said it's like going to see the girls every day. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> she said it's like going for Saturday lunch with my girlfriends every day. She says goodbye to her husband, says I'm off to see the girls. Were you thrilled you to hear that? Yes. I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, that's a wonderful vote of confidence, isn't it? Yeah. It's not even like going to work. No, it's not. And that, yeah, I think that's the intention. You know, we realise that people are at work a, a lot of the time of, the, of their life. They, you know, spend more time at work than they do at home, Some, some you know, in some instances. And, um we really want people to enjoy coming to work. You know, it's not going to be the same as going to the pub on the weekend, but, you know, we try and make it as fun as possible. And that, and that's one of our key values, isn't it? Yes. Is yeah. it? Yeah. So tell us a little about Bear Fruit, not Barefoot, Bear Fruit. Um, how many staff do you have and, and what's it like to be a team member in your company? We've got 12 of us now. Mm. Um, and what's it like to be a team member of our company? They are really, they really are a team member. It's a real team environment there. Um, very collaborative. No egos. There's no room for an ego at Barefoot. They don't, they don't last. Um, I think we've got the office set up to integrate. And, you know, Claire and I deliberately don't have offices. We don't sit away from the team. We like to be part of the team. You know, it's a, it's, it's a flat structure in that way. And, and everyone has a, you know, a valuable say in what we do. And, um, I think, yeah, the, the way that we have it set up is conducive to collaborating and coming up with creative ideas, mm -hmm. you know, because if you work in your little silo on your desk on your own, then sometimes you only come up with the same ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Tell us a bit about the core values that underpin your business. So we have four core values, although there are probably more. And they are, they are fun, curious, brave and real. They are the four values. And they are within us, I think. I think they just came very naturally to us. Um, we've got quite strong values both personally and professionally. And those values are really within the team as well. So we developed them with the team. They were a team effort and they came very naturally. So fun, we like to have fun. We're, we spend a lot of time with our work family. So we make it a fun place to work. We work hard, but we also have lots of fun at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, brave, what do you mean by brave? Brave. Brave is kind of pushing things a little bit further than you might be comfortable with so pushing our clients a little bit further getting them to think differently be different and yeah think a bit outside the box especially mm -hmm. you know in a creative industry we're 
we're producing marketing that is in a, a very cluttered environment, especially in the you know the digital age. There's a lot of messages that you're targeted by on a on a um, on a daily basis, and you know we, we might need to cut through that. And mm-hmm. um, so being brave is not just going back with the same solutions just because the client wants to do Facebook advertising. That maybe that's not the solution. Maybe mm-hmm. we should be suggesting a, a massive banner on the side of a building. So just be brave with you know, your professionalism, your, your courage, be, you know, your conviction that y- you are professionals and they are coming to us for advice. Mm-hmm. And curious and real. Can you curious. elaborate on those yeah, I values? Think, I think we are naturally very curious people. We ask a lot of questions. Um, for me, it's really important that we are part of our clients' business um, and can contribute to their success, can be part of their success. So we work you know, we work with them, not for them. Um, so curious, yeah, we, we do ask a lot of questions. We strip it right back and get really under the skin of everything. If we, mm. if we don't understand the product, if we don't understand what they're trying to sell, how are we going to be able to communicate it yeah, with right. their target mm. audience? So there is a lot of questions and, you know, we, we don't specialise in a particular industry. So we have to wear a lot of different hats for a lot of different industries. And, and one day we might be a specialist in cat food. The next day we might be a specialist in manufacturing something. The next day we might be a specialist in, in a not-for-profit. So we have to ask all those questions to understand their product and their offering as much as they do. And your other core value is uh, real. So by that you mean authentic? Honest. Yeah. What you see is what you get with us, really. Um, mm-hmm. We're both, we're both very kind of honest and transparent. So is the team, and we're very honest with our clients as well. If we don't believe in something, we will say it in a in a nice way. But I truly don't believe that we could work with a client if we didn't really believe in what they were doing. Mm-hmm. It's it's an industry that. You know, there's sometimes there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. There's a lot of what we say. There's a lot of marketing BS and we try and avoid that. And we say to people, look, we're plain speaking. We talk your language. You've come to us because we're professionals and we can talk and explain it in your language. Mm -hmm. Do you see your business as part of the community? Very much so, yeah. That's really important to us. Um, We... We, we started life in Lennox Head, a very small community, and we were very um, involved in the community there. So I was on the chamber at one point. Um, now we're in Ballina. We're really involved in the community there, and we we do a lot of pro bono work with a few charities in the area. We're mm-hmm. both on the board of charities as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Yeah, we're, when we can give back, when we're in a position to do so, we, we will. We, yeah, we give it a lot of, you know, on top of the charity stuff, we sponsor a lot of local teams and clubs. I myself coach a couple, I coach at the Football Academy, the Futsal Academy. I'm now on the Far North Coast Cricket Council's board um, as well. So, yeah, we try and give back as much as we can do. Mm-hmm. So tell us a bit about the, the birth of Bear Fruit. How did two Brits find their way to Ballina <laughs> to start a marketing agency? Well, I, I'd I'd always I'd travelled here in the in the two thousands for the Olympics and everything as a backpacker and went back to the UK and had always wanted to come back here and um, but I didn't have the work experience so I got my first job in marketing and and Claire was my boss and we sat in a room much not much bigger <laughs> than this and she interviewed me which was twenty odd years ago and um, and it it was, it was a few years after that this was a small regional agency and. Um, and a lot of what we've kind of la- uh, learned and brought into Barefoot was learned at that, that agency. And then we moved to London, went into bigger agency networks. We worked at different agencies then. And it was during that time in London we realised, well, 
you know, this is great and we're having lots of fun, but is this where we could bring up our kids? Is this the future? Do we want to be stuck here forever? And I always wanted to come back to Australia. And and uh, I pitched the idea to Claire and she said yes without even being here. So um, I think pitching the idea was proposing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and so we're talking here about workplace culture. Have you ever worked in a in a workplace where the culture was bad, was was toxic? I think the agencies that we've worked in have always been fun and I think they deliberately make the work-life balance fun because they know the work is hard. And every ag- the agencies that we worked at in London, they all had bars and restaurants because they want to reward you for the fact that you're there from 8 in the morning till 8 at night. So the, the, the atmosphere wasn't necessarily toxic, but it was hard, it was hard work and the clients that you were working with weren't particularly rewarding and I, and I can't speak for Claire but some of her clients were you know whether they were alcohol or, or, or tobacco clients and you were forced into selling a product that you didn't necessarily believe in and that's that's really why we set Barefruit up was to to work with brands in the initially the Northern Rivers because there, there's so many amazing owner operators a lots of friends had had amazing brands but they didn't know how to market it. And, and we really wanted to help these people and see the rewards and, and not just be a tiny cog in a in a massive machine marketing a brand that didn't really thank you for it. Yeah. Claire, you mentioned earlier about, um, about your staff. You asked them what it was like to work there and they said it was like, you know, going out with the girls. Is it an all-female operation? It is now, really. Um, apart from Evan and Colin, one of our designers, it's all girls, including the agency puppy. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all girls. And pretty much everyone is part-time, um, except for maybe one or two. Um, so, yeah, all mums pretty much as well. So, yeah, we're really – it's really – flexible workplace mm-hmm. fantastic and t- tell us a bit about the physical space you mentioned the puppy someone presumably takes the puppy home at night yeah, yeah. we do <laughs> she's, I, she's our baby yeah i like to i mean i someone said to us that it was like coming into the google of ballina because you walk in there's there's uh, fluoro lights orange walls there's a dog running around there's a ping pong table it's an enjoyable place to come into and and, and clients and suppliers, whoever's come into the office, go, wow, this looks like a fun place to work. Yeah, I bet. I can imagine. And you have uh, moments of levity as well. I think you have some kind of awards. Can you tell us about that? Staff awards? We do. We do. Every month somebody is the tits. Um, So the impressive team star. Nice. <laughs> Tits actually started life as a little goldfish that would be rewarded to the person who did something really great that month. And it can be anything. Um, I think I was the first person to be the tits. And now it yeah moves around the agency. So somebody gets nominated by their peers every month and they get an early mark, I think it is now, isn't it? Half, so, yeah, yeah they, they go home. They have half day off. Fabulous, fabulous. And so... Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge when it comes to having and keeping a positive workplace culture? The right people. Yeah. The right people in terms of staff and clients. Yeah. Um, if you get a bad apple or just a, some energy that isn't quite fitting with the rest of the team, it's really noticeable. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to our values, our brave values, we were very brave a number of years ago. Um, we... I think we called it fired. A client. Biggest client. Really? Yeah. yeah. 
because it really didn't he they didn't fit with our agency values and it was unhealthy yeah so it's that it sounds very kind of byron bay but to get rid of that negative energy was an amazing feeling because it opened the door to all this positivity and we got rid of one negative client and all these new ones flowed in. So it was the best thing that we ever did and gave us a lot of courage and, and confidence in what we were doing. Mm. Mm. And so I think you said you have 12 staff, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, 12 staff. So how do you recruit people to come and work at your business? Um, presumably you have to make sure they suit the culture. Yes, yeah. I do most of the recruiting because I like a chat. <laughs> so, and I am naturally very curious as well. So I, if somebody approaches us, I'll always want to meet them and find out who's out there. I always want to meet talent, whether we've got a vacancy or not. Mm-hmm. We may have one tomorrow. You never know the way the world moves at the moment. So, yeah, I um, do most of the recruitment and it's a bit of an induction process during that interview, really. They get to learn not a lot about me um, and a lot about the agency. And it's probably no surprise that once you do a um, personality profile on the agency there, we're all pretty similar, apart mm. from Evan. <laughs> being, most, being a bloke. Yeah, yeah most, most of the recruitment has been through word of mouth or our own marketing, which shouldn't be too much of a surprise, but people referring people that they thought would fit mm-hmm. and would enjoy working with us. Mm-hmm. And so I understand there's a killer question you ask in interviews, well, is that right? that's Evan's question. Yeah, look, I, it's a bit of a tradition now, so I can't I can't not, not ask it. it. Yeah, I yeah. have to ask it. And it's actually been quite insightful. And whether it's a killer question or not, I don't know. But I got asked it a good 25 years ago when I was going to uh, a London agency recruitment role, uh, job and... Um, the question is at the end of every interview, if and I can ask you, if you mm-hmm. were to have a dinner party with three people dead or alive, who, who would, would you be? invite? Ah, that's interesting, and, isn't it? And the amount there's of no be- right answer, there's though. no right or wrong answer, but mm. the, the amount of Beyonce's that we've had in, in the last <laughs> couple of years is it, maybe is an indication of all the women that we've got in the office. I don't know, but yeah, we've had some, it, it just gives you a little bit of depth to you know, it's. A creative agency, yes, but it's very much based on the culture of, you know, what's going on in society and and, and it just gives you a bit of an idea. Is, is there depth to this person? Which, you know, direction do they want to go in? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, uh, I think my, my answers at the time were Nelson Mandela, Jim yeah. Morrison from the Doors, yeah. and then and then I got stuck, and I Keith, thought, Keith, ah, Jesus, Keith, Jesus, Jesus, Keith Richards. Yeah. <laughs> so my third one was Jesus. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, when you do employ someone new, how do you initiate them into the culture? How do you onboard them into your workplace culture? Mm. I think, like I said, I think a lot, a lot of that starts in the initial chat with me, and so when they come in, it's it's very it's very natural. It's very nice environment we have an agency manager who takes them through a whole induction process so we've got what we call our agency bible which is constantly added to with processes and procedures and yeah they are walked through everything they're buddied up with someone else so there's always someone that they can they can talk to about their role or the agency Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so um for a business owner or leader listening to this podcast who wants to change or improve the culture at their workplace, what advice would you give them from your own experiences? I would say trust your instinct because if it feels wrong, it usually is. And um, I've really learned to trust my my gut um, and be honest. So you could always remember what you said. <laughs> 
Um, um, if you're honest, I really don't think you can go wrong. So be honest with a prospective staff member, for be instance. Be honest with everything. Be honest with your staff. Be honest with your clients. Be honest with your suppliers. Um, and then you don't have to remember what you said. You, 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 <laughs> it just, just, it's the best way, I mm-hmm. really believe. Mm-hmm. Evan? Um, yeah, look, I, I think um, trust in your gut is is really powerful because people don't change as much as you try and if, if there's an issue you can try and coax them out of that and retrain them but usually that that if in an open plan office like that that we've got that type of personality issue won't go away and um yeah just just it red flags are there for a reason mm-hmm. fantastic claire I think you've got a list there, and we haven't I quite have got, got back s- to the end. I have of, got some more. We haven't got to the bottom of it. On those big decisions, sleep on them before you have that tricky conversation, or send that email. Sleep on it, and then relook at it in the morning, and then you'll know whether it's the right one. Um, include the team in business decisions. I think that's really important for us. Is we include them. We're having an away day tomorrow with some of the senior team to include them in some business decisions over the next few years, mm-hmm. um, and just treat people right. Whether they're staff, employees, family, friends, everything, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated and the way you want to be spoken to. And then, yeah, not saying we don't have hard times, but, you know, it's a nice place to come every day. It sounds we're like very it. supportive. It's a nurturing place. It sounds like it. Claire, Evan, thank you so much for joining us on Business Bites. Thank, thank you. you. Now we're joined by Yasmin Lawrence, a human resources specialist who runs Why People Consulting. After 20 years working in-house for various organisations, her focus now is on supporting businesses in the region work towards having a great culture in which their employees can thrive. Hello, Yasmin, welcome. Thank you, Angela. So how would you define workplace culture and what's best practice or is that even a thing when it comes to culture in a workplace? Okay, well, I'm sure you've heard a great formal definition already, um, but the simple way that I like to think about it is the way that we do things around here. Or maybe even it's the personality of the business. Um, You know, it can be influenced and shaped by many things. It's often shaped by the formal purpose and stated values of the business, but one of the biggest factors that influence it is the actions taken, um, what the employees can sense and feel and that they believe about the business that they work in. And so where do they get that information from? Is it, uh, you know, instilled in them when they first start working in a business or is it just something that they glean along the way? So it sort of comes from a number of different factors. So some businesses are really good at explicitly stating the things that are important to them and then following through on that. But a lot of the way that employees pick up on what the culture is are the expectations, the intentions, the work practices, all of those things have an impact. You know, it's about what is not acceptable behaviour as much as what is acceptable behaviour. Um, it's the way that managers interact and speak to them. It's the information they're given about the business. There's lots of different factors at play Um One of the most important things for businesses to do if they really want a good culture is to really be intentional and conscious about the things that are important to them. Make decisions about how they want that to look and feel, how they want their employees to be valued by their business. Mm -hmm. Can you give us um, some Australian examples or local examples of workplaces which are considered best practice and what are some of the attributes that help them achieve that? 
Yeah, so there's actually really interestingly now you can be certified as a great place to work. So there's a company that certifies you. So you go through the process of applying for your certification and gaining that if you meet the correct measures. Um, So it's quite popular. Obviously, it was more popular initially in big city-based companies, but that is spreading further and further. And we do have a couple sort of locally within our region that have gained their certification. We have Four Drunk Parrots, which is a Northern Rivers business, Beaumont People, which are based here in the Northern Rivers and in Sydney, and Four Pines Brewing on the Gold Coast that have all gained their certification. So what have they got to do to get that? Yeah, so the measures that they look at for that process are things like fairness across the business, the way they care about their people, and also community. So they focus on how they fit within and support the community. Mm -hmm. Our earlier guest, Professor Yvonne Brunetto, talked about how workplace relationships and leadership especially uh, can influence culture. What are some of the other tangible things that affect workplace culture? Yeah, so just to quickly touch back to leadership, it's certainly a very essential factor. I think it's one of the primary things that drives culture because the level of trust in leadership, the transparency and honesty that they display are all really strong drivers that influence culture. Leaders must make those conscious choices about the type of leader they want to be and the types of behaviours and way that they will influence the business. Um, Then, of course, following on from that, there are certainly HR procedures and business processes that impact on building the culture or working against it. So attraction, recruitment, retention of your employees, all are really important and they should be underscored by your culture. So you should be thinking about what is important to our business, what are we offering this employee, what are we expecting from them in return. Mm -hmm. What about pay and rewards? That's pretty important, surely. Yeah, definitely. So pay, pay and rewards are important, but they're not everything. So you can pay someone a lot of money, but they still won't be engaged or enjoy working for your business if the fit isn't correct for them. So just like with our friendships, not everyone fits together. So not every employee fits with every business. So it might actually have a great culture, but the person might still not fit because the values don't align. Mm-hmm. What about the physical space of an office or a workplace? Um, There's obviously since COVID, during COVID, there's, there's a real trend now towards working outside an office, isn't there? How have, how have lockdowns affected culture in a workplace? Yeah, so there's actually been a massive impact over the last couple of years of the things that people feel are important to do with culture and to do with the places that they work in. So there's a lot of difference now in the things that employees value. And one of the huge things is belonging and the values of the business that they work for. So they really want that alignment to feel like they value the same things that the business values and they really want to feel like they belong. So the types of actions that the business takes in showing them that they're welcome, that they're part of the team, that they're valuable to them are really important nowadays. Um, Physical office space is all still important and it's um, great to add in you know the fun and extras like chocolate bickies in the lunchroom and the bean bags in the breakout room but more important than that is the basics you know if you don't have the cake there's no point having a cherry to put on top so you need that really strong base of the managers in and uh, business owners supporting the culture that they want to achieve and treating their employees with respect to begin with. 
Mm-hmm. So what makes a good workplace culture? Is it one of those ephemeral things that you just know when you see it or feel it? Yeah, I think um, most people would be able to walk into a business and judge whether they felt that it was a good culture. You can almost feel in the atmosphere whether people are happy or unhappy, whether there's anxiety, whether people are committed to the business and, and happy to work there. So when I work with new clients, I pretty quickly get a feel of where their culture is going to sit just by the first conversation we have. So for example, it's the questions that they ask me. Some are like, I'm not sure what to do, but I really want to get this right because my employees are really important to me. And I know then that they're going to be a good person to work with. Others are like, well, do you know what? I do it this way and my staff are happy with that. So that's all right. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so how do you respond to that? So with those clients, um, it can be a little bit trickier. I do try to explain the legal requirements and what they need to do to treat those employees correctly. And if they're not willing to comply with that or to go down that path because they think that, you know, the employees are happy and that's fine, then generally I either don't work with those clients or I'll do a very small amount of work and we won't generally end up having an ongoing relationship. Is that right? Do you find many of those kind of workplaces? Not too many, luckily. Um, A lot of the clients that come to me are either referred or they're looking for help because they're wanting to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. How important is it for for a staff member in a workplace to feel like they're really contributing to something worthwhile or valuable? Yeah. So that, so one of the things, um, as I mentioned earlier, is definitely over the last couple of years, that's become really, really important to employees in their decision whether to join a business and whether to stay with a business as well. So that mutual respect, that um, really feeling like they're contributing to something positive within the business and, and that that business contributes more bro- broadly to either the community or society are things that have become quite important within an employee's view. Mm -hmm. I suppose not every job, though, leads to, you know, something valuable at the end. Some of them are just, you know, production line kind of jobs, aren't they? How does that worker feel valued? So I think there's lots of ways that businesses can look at the jobs that people are doing. And one of the big things that gives people joy in their work is giving them a little bit of autonomy to decide sort of how to achieve the work or how to kind of add things that are fit with their personal values. So um, there's there's companies out there that say work in the aged care sector and they enable their employees to have a little bit of flexibility around how they deliver that work, whether they spend a little bit more time with clients, you know, having a chat and making them a cup of tea rather than, you know, just pushing through and and cleaning the house, you know, as they were sent to do. So things that are valuable to the employee, if they're a social person, having a cup of tea might be important. If they have different values, it might be something else that they feel like they can have control over and decide on that makes them feel like that job is more than just the job. Mm -hmm. And effective communication and and feedback can also demonstrate how culture is embedded in a workplace? Yeah, definitely. Communication is absolutely key. Um, One of the best things that business owners, managers, supervisors can do is talk to their employees. You have to let them know what is happening in the business. You need to tell them what's expected. If employees are not told what's expected, how could they possibly deliver? Um, 
you look at feedback as either positive or constructive. That's the only two options. So positive feedback is giving an employee a rap for doing something that you want them to do more of. It's encouraging them to repeat those behaviours. Constructive feedback is letting them know that something they've done doesn't quite meet the standard and how they can improve and that that behaviour is what you expect in the future. Mm -hmm. So if you only look at it as either positive or constructive, the only option is improvement to your business. Mm -hmm. So there's no room for negative feedback or criticism. Well, criticism or negative feedback is really constructive feedback if you deliver it in the correct way. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Um, What role does diversity play in workplace culture? Uh, diversity is really important. So having all the same people is, you know, not a great mix. We look at, um, you know, all the businesses as part of Northern Rivers Foods Group are quite, uh, obviously we'll understand this analogy, but, you know, when you're putting a dish together, you want the right mix of ingredients, the right level of seasoning. You can't just put a bowl full of flour together and make a cake. It doesn't work. So you need to have a really diverse workforce that, um you know, offers you lots of different ideas. Um, It broadens the scope of your customer focus. It does lots of different things for businesses having diversity in the workplace. You know, for employees on the outside looking in to apply for a job, it says to them, oh, look, this is a workplace where everybody's welcome. For employees on the inside, it says, well, do you know what? They value different ideas and opinions. Everybody gets to have a say here and we're all as important as each each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And so for a business owner who wants to change or improve the culture in their business, what advice would you give them? What sort of work do they need to do? So I think one of the big things to do is to sit down and really consider what's important to them. So um, a lot of businesses would do this work as part of, say, their marketing plan. So they think about their why, why they're in business, what's their vision, what's their purpose. So the same type of work can be done when you're thinking about your culture and your values. So for business owners in small businesses, I think their business values are really going to reflect a lot of their personal values because that's just the way it happens when you're so closely connected to your business. So you need to think about what's the core essence of my business? What do I want it to look like? What do I want it to feel like? How do I want employees to feel when they work here? What do I want them to be proud of? So those are the types of things to consider. And then once you have a really good understanding of that, then you need to think about what are the types of behaviours or the actions or attitudes that, that are going to continue to foster this and make this really strong and grow within my business. Mm-hmm. And so tell us a bit about your company, about Why People. What types of services do you provide to what kind of businesses? Yes, I have a whole range of different businesses that I work with. A lot of them are small businesses, some medium and some slightly larger businesses. And I provide all types of services. Um, Often it starts with a bit of a a fix, a bit of an audit and have a look at what their HR systems look like, whether they've got any or whether they need a bit of an overhaul. But then I really work with them to focus on what they want out of the experience of working with me? What is it that's important to them? Why are they coming to me? Is it because they have some issues with employees that they're trying to resolve? Is it because they want to do things better? Do they just, they wanted some documentation? But I actually really try to focus on what their business looks like, what's important to them. And then I try to support them in a way that's actually suited to their needs rather than trying to stick them in a box and and size them into one, one size fits all. 
But so you're working with the business and the business owners and the managers as opposed to the staff members? Mostly with the business owners and managers, but I often will run sessions with their teams um, around performance or, you know, do some training or that kind of thing, but mainly working with the business owners and, and leaders in the business to improve their skills. Because if they are more capable of having conversations and running the sessions within their business, that's more important because that's actually going to add more value to their business. There's no point me coming and fixing the problem every single time. I'd rather empower them to have those skills to be able to deal with those things themselves. Mm -hmm. And do you have any success stories that you could share with us? Uh, Yeah, so I've been working with um, an arts organisation and they had recently had a number of changes of management. So the staff were quite disengaged. They were quite um, not very feeling confident that the business was going the right direction. They had some new managers in place, but the staff weren't really confident that what they were asking them to do was going to stick because they were like, well, we're just going to get another manager in a couple of months because that's what's been happening. Mm. So we've done quite a lot of work working with them around improving their employment contracts so it's really clear what their conditions are. They had some really ad hoc arrangements which we've taken out because it was causing a lot of conflict between employees and it was causing conflict with management trying to manage, you know, all the little special arrangements that went on that actually weren't suitable for the employees anyway. It didn't work for them. So we kind of straightened things out. We set them down. We really talked about the values of the business and the strategic plan. We made it really clear to them, what is the business trying to achieve and how are you part of that? How do you contribute? So we did a lot of work around sort of building up the communication and therefore they've got a greater understanding of what the business is doing and what they are contributing to. Mm-hmm. So it's improved those relationships a lot. Oh, that's great. Yasmin Lawrence, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This episode of Business Bites has focused on workplace culture. We've talked with Professor Yvonne Brunetto from Southern Cross University, with Claire and Evan Harding from Bear Fruit Marketing, and with Yasmin Lawrence from Why People. We spoke about what culture is, how to support it, and how to develop a positive culture. We've explored how factors like leadership and teamwork contribute, and we've even contemplated the ingenious way burpees or an office pet might have a part to play in building a culture to suit your business. The Business Bites podcast series is a collaboration between Southern Cross University and Northern Rivers Food. Southern Cross now offers the new Bachelor of Business and Enterprise at its Lismore campus, and for the March 2023 intake, the university is offering a scholarship worth $5,000 to every student who enrols. This new degree can help the brightest commercial minds to stay in our region. Perhaps that's you, someone in your business, or someone you know. Find out more at scu.edu.au. Northern Rivers Food is the region's not-for-profit, member-based food organisation. Established by people from the paddock to the plate, Northern Rivers Food supports and connects people in the industry, developing skills and opportunities, and celebrates the unique food of our region at every turn. To get involved, visit northernriversfood.org. Business Bites is proudly funded by the New South Wales Government and I hope you'll join us for the next episode. I'm Angela Caterns. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.